Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thank you. Good morning. Wow. That was beautiful. What in the world? I saw Joe and Ryan Burgess in the parking lot this morning. I, I, I thought I was caught up in heavenly places. I was so confused. My voice got so high. It could have cracked all these windows. I'm like, tone it down, <laughs> tone it down. Uh, the Burgess family is absolute heroes in this house. Who they are, the heartbeat of the father that lives within them is in the soil of our foundation. So it is an honor to have some heroes with us this morning. And happy 20th bir- birthday, Ryan Burgess. Amazing. She's been in Reading. Uh, our mothership going to the school of ministry over there. So we're so proud of who you are. Well, good morning. Wow, we just, we have so much good news this morning. It's a little overwhelming. He can't even get up. <laughs> That's how I feel in my soul. My soul is just on the ground somewhere. So we'll see how the words come out because I look like him in my spirit, man. <laughs> Anybody else? I don't know if I'm in the body or out of the body, but here I am. You know, Hebrews 7.25 says, Jesus lives to ever make intercession for us. The, the The Passion Translation says, Jesus lives to continually pray for you. So when you're curious, what is Jesus up to? What, what does the king who defeated everything do every day? When every foe, every demonic power was happily positioned under his foot, there is no concern left in the heart of Jesus. What does he do all day now? He lives to ever make intercession for you. What is prayer? What does that mean? What is he doing? And he taught us, when the disciples said, teach us how to pray. (laughs) He started like this. Pray like this. Our Father. Well, he was teaching us prayer is talking to the Father. Papa. Father. So Jesus is in an uninterrupted conversation with the Father about you. And when you can tune the fork to that conversation, you will never live life on the earth same again. Because the tone in his voice, when he's talking to the Father, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he ever lives to talk to the Father 
about you. And if we could just even catch a glimpse of the look on his face when he says your name, every lie the enemy ever told you that bound you up in insignificance and fear would melt in the tone of his kindness, in the way his eyes light up when he just says your name. And so many of us have been conditioned by a religious spirit that puts an edge in his tone. And we project our own self-judgment onto Jesus. And Jesus does not have an ounce of judgment towards you because he became it. He became every deficiency and sin you ever committed. It is finished. And it's so overwhelming, this good news, that we cannot fathom it in our rational brain. And this is why we, we have to lean not on our own understanding so his kindness can defeat us, so his love can penetrate every cell and fiber of your being. Things are not as they seem to be. Things right now about your life are not as they seem to be. The most authentic, pure stream of truth about who you are and where your life is flows from the person of truth. And he is ever living to talk to the Father about you. Hey, let's talk about her again. Tell me that story again. What did she do yesterday? That crazy girl, she's risking it all. Oh my goodness, she's holding nothing back. The whole earth is going to hell in a handbasket and she still believes I'm good. Let's talk about it again. Tell me again, what did she say this morning? She said, I love you. Oh, let's talk about that again. When Jesus was on the earth, he lived as a house of prayer. He lived in an uninterrupted conversation with the Father. This is how he only said what the Father was saying because he was only talking to the Father. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he was modeling for us what access to the presence of God does to a life. I'm talking to the Father all day, every day. I'm only saying what he's saying. I'm only doing what he's doing. I am a house of prayer. Our destiny on the earth is to live like Jesus to live in an uninterrupted conversation with the Father. That what is flowing from my life is an overflow of my conversation with the Father. And, you know, I, I've been on a journey the last couple years of 
the Father talking to me. I, we've been in a conversation, a long one. I hope it never ends. And he, he, in a lot of different ways, keeps telling me, I'm delivering my church from performance Christianity. And the tone in his voice in that conversation, it's tender and it's fierce. And you can tell your proximity to his tone by the way you talk about his church. Because when you get close enough, you realize, I am her. Everything I speak about her is how I'm speaking about myself. And so I say, well, how are you going to do that? Um, and he said, I'm going to start with delivering you from performance Christianity. So I've been in deliverance for a couple years. I haven't puked any green slime yet, but I would not put it past him. It could be coming. I'll be enlisting a few of my friends to hold back my hair. And... Uh, I've been, I've been serving the body of Christ for two decades. We just had our 20th anniversary, Justin and I, and we've spent, we've spent the whole of our marriage uh, longing to be as tender as Jesus towards his bride. And, you know, if I could put leadership development within the church in a nutshell, the way Jesus has um, taught me about leadership in his church <laughs> is um, about 4,762 ways to get off a pedestal. Hey, baby, you could crawl off, you could fall off, you could flop off, you could fly off, you could jump off. <laughs> But as soon as you get down from there and get as low as I am and put your knees in the dirt, we could do some eternal work together. And the thing that's so triggering to us about other people behaving in wounded ways is that it exposes our own wounds. Your wounds become a mirror for my unhealed wounds. And when we get as low as Jesus, and he teaches us what the towel over our arm feels like, that this is our full expression of love on the earth, is to not judge the way you walk, but to get low enough to nourish the reason you walk that way. And, and Jesus, in this hour of history, is as low as your feet having a conversation with the Father about how beautiful you are. Oh, I love her. I love him. This is, this is when, when, before he left the earth, he said, I long to show my disciples the full measure of my love. 
And so he grabbed a basin of water and he put a towel over his arm and he began to wash their dirty feet. And when we say, show us your glory, Lord, he often calls us lower because he's hidden his glory in broken vessels like me and broken vessels like you. And today I wanted to look at a really familiar passage, Luke 15. And I return to this passage over and over and over. Uh, It's nourishment to my soul. And it's like I pull up to this passage and I'm like, okay, what did he say again? Jesus, tell me the story again. And, you know, performance uh, and passion look a lot alike on the external of life. And honestly, passion will always outperform performance. Because passion can make it through the night. Performance cannot. And so you cannot look at the exterior of your own life and know if you are performing or if you're living in passion. It's the invisible movements of your motivation. And it's the place where God prunes us where God disciples us. He never first starts on the external. He goes all the way into the heart. And the motivation of performance is we do all the things we're doing to get to the presence of God. Passion is we do all the things we're doing because we're possessed by the presence of God. We live there, we breathe there, we have our being there. And so we can never look at the the life of another and judge their motivation. That's not discernment. That is an immature spirituality. You are not God. You will never know what is driving the motivation of another human being. God alone fills up that space. And, you know, passion will take you places performance can never go. It will never touch. And I remember when I was in um, junior high, I fell in love. I got passionate about the game of basketball. Before I fell in love with basketball, I really just showed up to the games for the gummy worms at the snack shack. That's why I was there. But one summer, I had access to a gym, a gorgeous gym. Wow, that gym smelled exactly like redwood trees. And uh, I played every day. And if I had to miss a day, I was devastated. I woke up in the morning to get to the gym. And the only people at the gym to play with were guys. And they were like wildly better than me. And I I loved this game so much that I did not even care 
that they made me look ridiculous out there. I would come home bloody, sweaty, a loser. I mean, I really went to the gym every day to lose. And I, was, I fell so in love with this game that it didn't even matter that I was bad at it. I just wanted to play. And you can discipline yourself to get better at something. Or you can fall in love head over heels and you can't help yourself but to get there. I don't remember the last time I read my Bible because I should. And you know, performance is constantly telling you everything you should be doing and everything everyone else should be doing. This is what Martha did. She, she was like, she should be helping me. Jesus, you should tell her to help me. So you know, you, know, you, you know you're on rocky territory when your success is dependent on what everybody else should be doing. It's a very agitating place to live. But when you start telling Jesus Christ, the one and only savior of the whole wide world, what he should be doing with your sister, you need to go to the altar have a teenager pray for you after the service. <laughs> Passion is void of shoulds. It doesn't have that vocabulary. It's, it's fueled by delight. It's fueled by, it's fueled by a smile. And, you know, if you don't have... I went a long time without a passion, a love for the word of God. And if that's you, this is just personal advice, just from me to you, not like theologically accurate or the opinion of whoever. <laughs> just stop trying to read through the Bible in a year. Because when you get to Leviticus, you're going to hate your life. You're going to hate this book. You're going to be like, who cares about the desk with the lamp? This is not helping me fall in love with this book. This is my own opinion as a passionate lover of the Bible. What you need to do is just put on the shelf all those reading plans. And every time you come to the word of God, ask the Holy Spirit to come with you. Ask the Holy Spirit to illuminate a passage to you. And when he illuminates a passage, you might not be able to understand it or know why. Linger there, remain there until it becomes you. Not until you can teach on it, articulate it, understand it, but until the promise you're reading, until the words you're reading become a personal note from your God to you. And meditation has taken me further 
in valuing and cherishing the word of God for what it truly is than quantity ever has. Because often we feel good about ourselves if we read a certain amount. And then it, it, you become your own obsession. Instead of being obsessed with Jesus. And so I have, I have passages right now that they mean so much to me. And I don't know that I would ever preach on them because I'm still becoming them. And they're nourishing my own wounds. They're nourishing places in my heart that spent years in woundedness. And every time I return to these passages, it becomes a healing balm of the presence of God. And so, do away with that 365 day stuff. Okay. Luke 15, Uh, we're going to look at verse 11. Then Jesus said, once there was a father with two sons. We cannot relate to that at all. So, zero revelation about that. The younger son came to his father and said, Father, don't you think it's time to give me the share of your estate that belongs to me? So the father went ahead and distributed among the two sons their inheritance. Shortly afterward, the younger son packed up all his belongings and traveled off to see the world. He journeyed to a far off land where he soon wasted all he was given in a binge of extravagant and reckless living. Uh, Verse 14, with everything spent and nothing left, he grew hungry. For there was a severe famine in that land. So he begged a farmer in that country to hire him. The farmer hired him and sent him out to feed the pigs. The son was so famished that he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. And today what was really on my heart was I wanted to share a couple different kinds of hunger that we experience in our process of following Jesus. And the first hunger we see here is the hunger of a beggar, is the hunger from living in a famined world. And that there is a deep ache in the soul of every human being by the depravity in the world all around us. We live in a perpetual famine of love. There's not enough. It's dark, it's cold, it's isolating, it's lonely. And and this son went out to be filled by the world and was left stripped by the world. And every single one of us has has experienced this deep, aching hunger in the pit of your soul. And this hunger 
is not the mark of life in the kingdom. This hunger is our invitation to the kingdom. You cannot get into the kingdom without this hunger. This is when Jesus said, blessed, happy are the poor. Happy are you when you realize you're on the earth and you are a beggar. You have been stripped down to no source of love, no source of safety. You are realizing I am poor. And it has nothing to do about physical possession. You are poor without a source of love and provision, without an attachment to the Father. And happy are you, blessed are you when you realize I'm poor. That is when you inherit the kingdom. You inherit the domain of the Father. And all of us have parts of us that did not come into this revelation the day you prayed the sinner's prayer. And discipleship is the process of tending to this hunger. What will I do with my poverty? Will I continue to try to fill it by being my own God and living out of my own desperation as a beggar to the world around me? I will be full if, I will be full when. And to truly follow Jesus, you bring your beggar's cup to the altar. I will no longer work for love. All to Jesus, I surrender. And there, nothing is new on the earth. The earth is in a famine. And every well can satisfy for a moment, but it can never be a source. And so the son, it says in verse 16, the son was so famished, he was willing to even eat the slop given to the pigs because no one would feed him a thing. Humiliated. That means he was racked with shame. The son finally realized that what he was doing, he finally realized what he was doing and he thought. Anybody ever had a thought that changed your whole life? You could be on the brink of the most life-changing thought you've ever had in this moment right now. Your life couldn't, you could think one thought that you got from the mind of Christ and it can change the trajectory of your children's children. This guy had a thought. And this was his thought. There are many workers at my father's house who have all the food that they want with plenty to spare. They lack nothing. Why am I here dying of hunger, feeding these pigs and eating 
their slop. I want to go back home to my father's house. And I'll say to him, Father, I was wrong. I have sinned against you. I'll never be worthy to be called your son. Please, Father, just treat me like one of your employees. The, you know, if you're reading the ESV, it says he came to himself. He had so fully abandoned himself to prostitutes, to reckless living. And when you abandon yourself, you abandon the home within you where the father lives. He will never leave you. If you leave you, you leave him. And, you know, he came to himself when he had the thought about his father's nature. Having a thought about yourself cannot heal your humiliation. Having a thought about the Father's nature can bring you home. And he had a thought about the abundance of his Father. He had a thought about the consistency of his Father's nature. He treats servants just like sons. He's kind to everyone. There's an abundance. My Father knows no famine. He thought about the abundant generosity of who his father is. And the thought about his father's nature is what pulled him out of his shame and brought him to his right mind and said, I'm aching to go home. I'm aching to be filled for this hunger to be filled by my father. And... You know, this is such a big deal because when we cannot tolerate ourselves, we annihilate ourselves. And this is what Judas did. He could not tolerate his, his humiliation. He could not tolerate his shame. And he became obsessed with himself. He, he was only thinking about his own deficiencies. He could not tolerate his brokenness. And he did not think a thought about Jesus. He did not think a thought about when a leper, he was, he was in the room, when a leper, a diseased man who was an outcast in society that was believed, if you have leprosy, it's because God despises you. The, the very disease itself wrapped him in shame. And Judas was in the room when the leper was courageous enough to come to Jesus and say, I know you can, but are you willing to heal me? And Jesus looks straight at the man and says, I am. I am that I am 
that I am, that I am willing. And that word willing means delighted. I am delighted. And he, he reached out and touched him in his shame. And Judas did not consider the nature of Jesus, the kindness of Jesus, the generosity of Jesus. And the number one thing shame wants to steal from you is your thought about the Father. The thought that the Father could be bigger than your failure. The, the thought that the Father can tolerate parts of you that you cannot. And so this son, he comes into his right mind. And we know the story. He, he's running on the road. And who does he meet on the road? Ah, I, I just love this part. It just bursts where words cannot go. And the father had been looking for his son. And, and the Bible says the father raced out to meet him. He swept him up in his arms. He hugged him dearly. He kissed him over and over with tender love. And then the son said, he starts to spill, I was wrong. I sinned. I don't deserve to be called your son. Just let me be. And the father interrupts him and says, hey, my boy, you're home now. And turning to the servants, he says, bring the best robe, my robe. Bring the ring, the seal of sonship. Bring the best shoes. Hey, prepare the goat. We're going to have a great feast and we're going to celebrate. This is what hunger in the kingdom looks like. Hunger in the kingdom uh, heals your shame because the Father is kissing your stinky face. The Father wraps his arms around you and he smells pigs. He smells the bottom of the bottom and he puts your shame on his lips. And instead of wiping you clean, he wraps you in a robe that's wildly too big for you. And you, you ever hug someone and their smell just kind of lingers for the day. Sometimes that's really good and sometimes it's not. And the, the smell of his very own robe wrapped this, this shame in the robe of the Father. And hunger in the kingdom comes from where you are positioned in possessing everything that belongs to the Father. And he says, it's time to feast. And we, from the robe, from the ring, from the sandals on our feet, we say, I don't want to miss a thing. I want to taste and see that you are good. I have a Father. I have love. I have approval. I have everything my heart has ever craved. I'm going to feast from this place. And it's a prophetic picture of the sacrificial lamb that we would feast on. Jesus said, if you want to be my disciple, you're going to have to eat my body. 
drink my blood. This is our eternal feast as sons and daughters who live in the kingdom. The kingdom is the Father's house. And when Jesus said, abide in me, that word abide says, stay present with me. Remain in me. Be present to taste everything I'm dishing up to you. So let's just all stand up. <clears throat> and for some of you here this morning, you, you've been in the intensity of a battle. And, you know, we take so much comfort in Psalm 23. He sets a table for me in the presence of my enemies. He sets a feast for me. He puts his very own robe on my back. He puts his authority on my hand. He puts the good news, the happy shoes of a happy father on my feet. And he prepares a feast for me in the presence of my enemies. I do not hunger in the way that the world hungers. I hunger in the way that a satisfied son and daughter hungers. I am hungry to not miss one moment of your face. I am hungry to memorize everything about what you have prepared for me. We hunger in the kingdom from our fullness. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.